Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, you are tuned into KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nube Brown, here at Prison Focus Radio. I want to give a big shout out of gratitude to KPOO for continuing to provide this hour so that we can dig deep and really suss out the uh, prison industrial complex and uh, work and and provide this platform for our caged community members to be in uh, dialogue with us, to be in front and center of this national dialogue, uh, to help us dismantle this capitalist, imperialist, uh, system that is being upheld by a white pathology. So we are going to have, so thank you again, a KPOO, uh, San Francisco 89.5, and all the beautiful people that work here. And I want to give a shout out to all of you who are listening, and thank you for tuning in every week. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. Um, the other thing, uh, so we are going to have this great show. We are going to be hearing the third part of the evil dehumanizing practice within the short Corridor Torture Chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a and uh, Mutopi Duguma. And uh, the one of the main reasons why we are uh, reading this, and we're going to be reading more because Satawa and Mutope are part of, they are part of the hunger strikers. They are part of the authoring of the agreement and hostilities, even though um, Mutope is not a, a signer. But nonetheless, the, the anniversary or the commemoration of the first hunger strike in July, uh, is coming up, the 10th anniversary. So we uh, want you to stay tuned. We want you to pay attention to the San Francisco Bayview, to California Prison Focus, PHSS, uh, all of these folks who um, helped to be uh, on, who helped all those guys and brothers and sisters on the inside, um, helping here on the outside to uh, draw international attention to uh, the, the torture of decades of solitary confinement that CDCR was uh, perpetrating upon people, our people, who are you going to be hearing about, and uh, the the hunger strikes that it took, three hunger strikes, the third one culminating in 30,000 people participating, some, again, who we are hearing from, uh, hunger striking for up to 60 days. Yes, people did die, and they won they ended indefinite solitary confinement. And yet, because CDCR can't stand losing and being, um, uh, and they want to always save face, they couldn't stand that these brothers came together under the agreement to hand hostilities and, um, and got out from under the torture of solitary confinement. They continue to retaliate against them. Many of them are still in, inside and in solitary confinement. Only one of the signers uh, of the agreement to end hostilities is out. Paul Red, we love you. Um, and Shava uh, uh, Perez has died inside. So we really want to bring major attention to these heroes, to these political prisoners, uh, to these now elders who are still caged and we want them home. So the, the 10th anniversary is coming up in July, so you are going to be hearing a lot about and f- a lot from these uh, brothers who were of the short corridor and the a representative body of um, the agreement to end hostilities. So here we go. We will be hearing that third part, I said, and we are also going to be hearing from Abdul Shakur, 
um, I believe it was Minister King, uh, the director, uh, co-director of California Prison Focus. Please go to prisons.org, read their amazing newspaper and all the amazing work that they are doing there. Um, Minister King is the uh, co-director and um, also uh, the founder and uh, facilitator of Cage Universal. And he, I believe he brought this, this audio. And so we are going to be playing this piece titled on revolutionary science. All right, some music in between. Love y'all. Here we go. I want to make this real quick, right? Uh, now, the day I had a brief dialogue with some activists on the streets, and they was uh, speaking on the lack of progress with May as a movement, and they was pointing towards what the government was doing or what the government wasn't doing. My thing is this here. It's not the government. It is what we do. We are ultimately responsible for how we respond to oppression. We are ultimately responsible for how we respond to our reality. And we have not been responsive to that. I use the example when it comes to Hurricane Katrina. Prior to Hurricane Katrina, we had all these activists that say, uh, the government's this, the government don't give a damn about us, they hell with the government. And I agree with you on that. Now, soon Hurricane Katrina hit, the same activists are saying, why the government didn't come and save us? That's a contradiction. If you know this government is an enemy, I ask you, what stopped you from showing the people? What stopped you from educating the people on how to prepare themselves for this natural disaster? That's our responsibility as revolutionary activists, not the enemy government, but this is the thing I don't understand. And then we don't, I mean, we sit here and we participate in these activities that's not going to solve a damn thing. Just like, we can march up and down the streets all day, nothing going to happen. All you have to do is look around you. They still killing us. Marching has its place, don't get me wrong. But we have to focus on stabilizing our community. If you study revolutionary science, and you study all past revolution, you have to have a foundation to operate from. The community is our foundation. Without that foundation, you cannot build. You need a foundation to build from. But we don't only want to think that we can do without a foundation. And then we take a checkerboard to a chess game, and then we wonder why we're losing. We're thinking one move at a time, and we are subjective in our response because we have these emotional responses. Another issue we was talking about is unity. They said, well, Black Lives Matter and all these people is an example of unity. I said, no, it's not. Because unity is something that is consistent and constant, not motivated by some subjective, emotional, immediate moment where they just killed another brother or a sister. So we all come together and make noise the whole sign. That's not unity. Unity is something that is functional every day in the service of our people in the community. We have no unity. We have to build on that. Unity is self-empowering us with the ability to collectively act and respond. And then send someone to go follow them. Now I know where they all live, where they hang out at. So now, if I want to get rid of them, I know exactly what to do because I know who they are. You're not serious about the struggle if you're talking about revolutionary armed struggle and you marching down the street with a gun in your hand. You ain't going to use it. That's foolishness. If you study the past struggle, it tells you don't do that no more. We made a lot of mistakes in the 60s and 70s, and we're repeating the same mistakes over again. We have to understand as revolutionaries, it's not about us, it's about the people. If the people are still starving, they're still unemployed, they're still miseducated, we're not doing our job as revolutionaries. We're 16 years removed, 16 years removed from Hurricane Katrina, 
and we are communities still not prepared for a natural disaster or crisis. Even when you deal with this COVID epidemic, our community wasn't prepared for that. But we'll blame the enemy government for that. The same government that we know don't give a damn about us. Yeah, that's like talking to the Ku Klux Klan. Why you didn't give me a safety net, Mr. Klan? Why, why you didn't protect me, Mr. Ku Klux Klan? We know that this government don't give a damn about us, but yet, every time we in need and help, we go to that very enemy government. Teach my kids. Empower me with the ability to feed myself. They're not going to do that. And I ask all New African Revolutionary Nationalists, I ask all activists in general, what's stopping you from preparing your community for a national disaster? What is stopping you from going door to door in your community and bringing our people together? What's stopping you? How do you blame the enemy government? They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Oppress us, control us, kill us if they can, because they don't want to kill us because they need our labor. But it's to control us. They use the killing as fear factors and instill fear within the other slaves. So this is the thing I'm speaking on. Why we keep talking about them? We need to talk about ourselves. It's like, let's go to the average black community. What do you see? Look out the window, you tell yourself what you see. Gang violence, drugs, destruction. Yeah, we can say that the white man and the system of racial oppression orchestrated those conditions, yeah. But that's not the excuse, our, our response, or our participation in it. We are ultimately responsible how we respond to the oppression. Like we have a legitimate argument pointing the finger at them. No, you point the finger at yourself for allowing it. If somebody walk up to you and slap the dog shit out you, you choose not to do nothing, what you gonna do? Who can you blame? You allow that to happen. We look at our communities. The community is our foundation for our future revolution, but we don't understand that. Because most people out there, so-called activists, don't understand that the revolution is a scientific process. It is a precise science. And if you ignore that, you'll be in the position we're in right now. One thing you have to understand when it comes to the sun, either you're dying or you're growing. We are rapidly deteriorating as a people. Because there's no growth taking place. Look at our situation. Give an example. Let's look back in the late 1800, like about 1898, 97, then early 1900s. We had communities that was owned, towns owned by our people. Every business in that town was owned by our people. Banks, insurance companies, you name it, everything was owned by our community. That was our town. And you know many of, them, many of you guys have heard of that because they destroyed them. But the point I'm making is, we don't have one town like that right now. How is this progress? How is the integration of people embracing individualism is progress? When we can go back a hundred years and find towns across the country where our people own everything in there. They was the government, they own the school, they own every house in that town. Show me one town like that now. You can't. But everybody want to say we made progress. Where at? Being slaves? What? Where the progress at? How many banks do we own now that is in the service of the community? How many businesses in our community that we own? How many homes in our community that we own? 
Do we control the flow of water that comes to our community? Do we control the electricity that comes to our community? We don't control jobs. Do we have the ability, capacity to protect and defend our women, children, and elders? The Amber Alert is not for us. We have to develop our own response. That means protecting and defending our women and children before they get kidnapped. This is on us. I don't care what this, the racist, fascist government is doing. Exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So I don't need a debate on that. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Their objective is to keep us oppressed, to keep us going after each other. That's their job. Now, what is our job? It's to prevent that from happening, but we have to fight from a position of strength. We're taking a checkerboard to a chess game, making one move at a time, and they're 20 moves ahead of us. Then we wonder how, we, how they're predicting our moves. If I'm a revolutionary, like I said, I was active in the struggle before I came to prison. I've been in prison over 40 years now. I'm not going back out there to do the same thing I did back then. That's how I end up here right now. Revolutionary science is a science. The revolution is a science. We have to reevaluate the mistakes we make and use those lessons to form new ideas and, and revolutionary strategies and tactics if we're serious about the revolution. One of the mistakes the comrades made back in the days, the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberation Army, and other revolutionary groups, they exposed themselves. You gotta keep the underground and above ground completely separate. Comrades walking up down the streets with guns, and then they feed the breakfast programs and all these other programs during the daytime. You can't do that. Because if I know you're part of the underground, I'm gonna wait till you come to the free breakfast program and follow you underground and identify all your members of your cadre. We have not learned that lesson because you have many different groups is doing the same thing now. The same exact thing. That's why they don't pose a threat. The government don't give a damn about that. Look when you got all these blacks marching down the streets with guns. The government not responding. What'd that tell you? You're not a threat. If I can see you, I can control you, I can deal with you. If I can't see you, I don't know who you are. How do I deal with that? How do you deal with the unknown? And this is what I'm saying. We're playing with it, and they know we're playing with it. And this is what I mean by chess and checkers. We make the same checker moves, and they already know. When something happened, we'll march it down the street. No justice, no peace. Break windows, throw bricks. They know this already. They've seen this a thousand times. They've seen this a thousand times. So when they're playing chess, they already know, okay, we already know these Negroes going to respond like this. And these crazy white rockers will come and encourage them to throw bottles and rocks and go back to their community. They know this already. They've seen this over and over again. Nothing new. Mao Tung once said, years of quiet organizing is worth more than hours of unnecessary hell raising. Even when our people was protesting the death of George Floyd, they were still killing us. I understand that public demonstration has its place, but what is its purpose other than to expose what we already know? If you're trying to achieve something and you set a goal for yourself and you have yet to reach that goal, you have to go back to the drawing board and ask yourself why? What am I doing wrong? You got to reassess and continue to reassess what you're doing.
The struggle is an exact science. You can't get around that. Not because I say so. Study it. There's a dialectical process and materialist process to the struggle. Not because Mao Zedong said. Not because uh, that racist bastard Marxist and Lenin said. It is what it is. It's inherent. Contradictions is inherent within society itself. In order to move forward, you have to resolve that first contradiction. And you can come, and you can come in contact with another contradiction. But each time you resolve that contradiction, you go to another stage of development. Can't get around it. That's inherent in nature itself. If you're taking a checkerboard to a chess game, you're going to get checkmate every time because I can predict your move, your first move. And that's what we do as a people. We always think one move ahead. They think 20, 30 moves ahead. They're not even worried about us. They already know where we're going to be at. We don't even have an end game. They already have an end game. What is our end game? We're on a checkerboard. Trying to jump kings and queens. They move in pieces. And those pieces are repping. When you look at those pieces, they're like institutions. They're building institutions. Each piece is a weapon for them. It, even when you look at welfare programs, that's a piece on their board. Even when you look at, okay, we're going to throw Michael Jordan to you. He's your hero. Oprah Winfrey, she's your hero. And a lot of our people suck that up. That's a piece that keeps us blind. To me, they're both trunk material. I'm serious about the struggle. You can throw all these celebrities at me. I don't give a damn about them. Our people are suffering. That's the only thing that matters to me. You're not going to sell me off because a celebrity come. Get the hell away from me, celebrity. When we got kids in our community that's dying. When we don't own none of our homes and businesses in our community. We still being subjected to the dictates of a racist, fascist government. Our people is dying. I'm a revolutionary guerrilla. The only thing that matters to me is the liberation of my people. That's it. No more, no less. I spent over 40 years in prison believing that. I spent 32 plus years in solitary confinement and isolation believing that. And I don't regret one day of it. Because can't stop, won't stop until the last drop of my blood every day. But it's how we do things. We have to ask ourselves. Do we have the capacity to defend our community? No. Do we have the capacity to feed our community? No. House our community? No. Implore our community? No. And what are you fighting for then? This is not power. Without that capacity, you have no power. Without, without that capacity, you have no power. You're playing with the game. One of the sisters asked me a couple of days ago, what do self-government look like? And that's a legitimate question. Because we have never governed ourselves before. We have to provide them with an example of what self-government looked like. Building institutions in our community. Now, I'm not talking about programs. I'm talking about institutions. Even when you see the free breakfast program from the 60s and early 70s, that was the basic towards building an institution. Our own Department of Agriculture that will allow us to develop our own products to feed our community. Open up people's community stores. Stores that's owned by the community. The vegetables and fruits that we grow we take that straight to the people's store, have our own packaging company where the people purchase this stuff, healthy food, the money stay in the community. My ancestors, collective worker responsibility, corporate economics, self-determination, faith, purpose, creativity. 
And I tell people these are things that we should do every day. Just like with Black August, I tell brothers and sisters like this here. Like Kwanzaa, if you believe in Kwanzaa, you have to ask yourself, where are you today that you wasn't yesterday? If you celebrate, if you uh, participate in Kwanzaa or Black August, the next year you should say, where am I at today? What have I accomplished as an individual? What have I accomplished as an activist that I have last year on the 1st of August or the 26th of December? That's how you determine your progress. That's how you chart your progress as an individual, as a community, and as an organization. What do we have as a movement right now that we did not have last year during Black August or Kwanzaa? If you look in your community, I'm not talking about programs again. See, the government tolerate programs. They know the program is not going to free us. The program is not going to empower us. I understand the importance of community gardens, but community gardens do not feed our community. But we put so much emphasis on community gardens. Yes, I agree. It is a necessary process right now. But we need to develop our own Department of Agriculture. We need to acquire thousands of acres that can produce the necessary food so we can feed our community. Even when you say, just like with the Black Panther Party, they're passing out these grocery bags of food. Now you say, wait a minute. Every item in that bag belongs to our enemy. Canned beans, canned corn. We still de depending on them. Because you pass out a bag of grocery don't mean nothing. Because everything in there is still depending on the enemy. Those canned corns, blown to him. The canned beans, blown to him. The bag of rice, blown to him. And nothing in that bag belong to us. Because you pass the bag that doesn't make it yours. We still become dependent on the enemy. And we think that's independence. We have to develop our own department of agriculture. Develop our own packaging company. So when you do get a bag of groceries and you see that black pants on that can of beans, you know that's ours. When you see that red, black, and green flag on that can of corn, you know that's ours. And the resources from that go back into the farm. It's not about making money off our people. We keep that dollar circulating in service and interest of our community. And I always tell comrades, the community should be the 21st century pyramids. 50, 60 years from now, our future generations should look back and say, our ancestors from the 1980s and 90s and 2001 and 2 created these pyramids. Why do we always go back to Africa and point towards the pyramids? What have we done now? We can't continue to live off our ancestors. What are we doing? Where's our pyramids? Where's our pyramids at? The community will be our pyramids. Right now, it's just a ruin. And we have only facilitated its demise. Could be because we participate. Just like every time we speak about drugs, you have activists doing this. And what I'm saying is here, I expect everyday people to do this. But activists will say, well, no, no, Abdu, uh, they bring the drugs in. Okay, I agree with you. The government has facilitated a path to bring drugs in our community. So I say, check this out. Who's making the brother sell the drugs to the community? Well, man, poverty, come on, man. Then we can justify all the atrocities that we impose on each other then. All right, Brother Abdul definitely has a lot to say. I'm sure you heard some uh, very familiar themes running through that um, articulation. So we are going to go ahead and take a quick musical break, and we may come back with uh, another excerpt of uh, his talk or get right into the 
evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber. So it'll be a little bit of a surprise. So hang tight. for the role we play in our own oppression. All day, every day. Where I'm at right now in California, a 12-year-old girl just got murdered. Gang. But it's all the issue without working with the government or the pig. We don't need them. They don't care nothing about that. We can resolve that. Who understands it better than we do? Many of us are ex-gang members ourselves. Who understands that issue better than we do? The solution lies with us. But one thing for sure, we have to resolve that contradiction. Until we resolve that, our, con our community will continue to be unstable. We will not have the foundation that is required to overthrow this bastard. We will continue to be a victim of it. Remember that. We have to think before we act. 
Without that understanding, we're going to stay stuck on stupid. I ask again, as I'm always, look out your window right now and look out your front door. You tell yourself, you ask yourself, what do you see? Are you satisfied with what you see? Are you? The hell what the government says, you tell me what you see in your community. Is you satisfied with that? Because if you are, you we in trouble then. If we don't find the need to address those issues in our community, we in trouble. We have brothers and sisters right now is talking about the rights of Asian people, talking about Palestinian people. But our community, we, we so quick to help everybody else but ourselves. We can be some sorry ass people. We got young girls in the neighborhood being molested and raped. We got young brothers dying for no reason whatsoever. We got elders suffering. We got unemployment. We got mass incarceration. We got all these different problems, but we'll find time and resources to help other people other than ourselves. We seriously need help. There's something mentally serious wrong with us. If you can walk out your front door and see the violence and drugs in our community, the lack of employment, the lack of business ownership, and think nothing of it, and you need to look at yourself in the mirror, reevaluate yourself. Every time you come out that front door, you should be sickened by the conditions in our communities. We can't expect this racist, fascist government to deal with that. That's our responsibility. Yeah, you have orchestrated this problem, but I'm gonna fix the problem. And that's where our focus should be at, fixing the problem. Because if we do it right, the P wouldn't have no need to come in our community. We have our own security force. The so-called educational system wouldn't be miseducating our kids. We have our own educational system. The hospital would not be neglecting our health because we would have our own health care system. How do we expect the people to believe in self-government when they have never seen it? At least the government is providing with something. When they pick up that form and call 911, the revolution's not coming. The government is coming. 411, the government. When we come to a time where they can pick up that phone and call up, red, black, and green, my mother just had a heart attack. We can send our ambulance to their house, send them to our hospital, owned by us, and that healthcare system is free. That's self-government. Self-government. But every time we need something, we have to rely on the same enemy government for unemployment. If your mother gets sick, you got to call them. But we supposed to be a revolutionary movement. We supposed to believe and embrace the 10 point party platform. But everything we need to survive in this racist society, we get it from them. We talk about independence, we talk about revolutionary struggle, but then I got to go down and get my unemployment check from the government. Oh, I understand that you have to. That's not what I'm talking about. The fact that we are living in a situation we have to depend on the very government that don't give a damn about us. And that's what we have to understand. Practices mean when we take the boot out of our ass. Practices mean when we have the ability, capacity to protect and defend our women and children and elders. When every home in our community is owned by us. 
It's no different when you look at the, the black athlete. If we get them to organize themselves like football players and basketball players and tell them don't sit down, you'll hurt the economy. But they won't do that because it's selfish. You see, one thing about capitalism and fascism is that selfishness is an inherent method in controlling the masses. If you live next to me, it's like when I was growing up and a sister stayed next to me. I'm, I grew up in the Panther. So this says sister next to me. I'm going to tell you right now, I was 12, 13 years old. You touch that sister, I'm putting you in the dirt. I wouldn't give a damn who you are, cop, whoever. Your husband, I don't get You touch that sister, I'm going to put you in the dirt, quick. When I was young, I used to go door to door to meet all my people in the community. I knew every elder in my community. Because I made an effort. And the Panthers, my father was a Panther. So, and I got it from them. I didn't make this up. They said, man, go door to door and meet the, meet the people. So you know who you're fighting for. Every day, I went to visit our elders. I did a yarn for us. I built it. I did a garden for them. I checked the windows at night. All the things I did. And when I was growing up, people started asking, hey, Abdul, you really had no childhood life. Yes, I did. My life was committed to my people. I don't regret being in prison for over 40 years. I don't regret that. Because I'm in the service of my people. If you guys to go, do it for the right reason. But one thing I tell people, I've never used drugs in my life. I never drunk alcohol. If I wasn't helping our elders, I'd probably been a dopehead. But I didn't hang out with that crew. I feel and believe that the time I spent with our elders was more valuable than anything else. You got a lot of young folks now want to go party, go to concerts and get high and all that old stuff. I ain't gonna never do it, even when they let me out. I'm not gonna do that. When I was young, 13, 14 years old, I have elders in our community that had nobody. I'd rather spend time with them. I mean, think about it. Here you got elders who have no family, even those who did have family. They're home by themselves most of the time. I'm 13, 14 years old. In my head, I'm saying, why am I hanging on the corner of a bunch of loudmouths when I can sit here with this sister or this brother and spend time with them? That's revolutionary. Why engage in that stupid when I can sit here and help and aid the sister and brother put a garden in their backyard, water their grass, walk them to the store, walk them to church, walk them to the mosque. That's what we're here for. You don't have to be a revolutionary. That's your responsibility when you're talking about collective working responsibility. But we've lost it. Nowadays, you don't know who your neighbor is and don't care. Nah, when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, I bet, man, Allah is my almighty witness. Let me see someone put their hands on a sister or a child. That's what I came to prison for. And most people that know my case, that's what I came to prison for. A young sister got sexually assaulted by some white sailors, and I went bonanza. I went bonanza and don't regret it. And will never regret it. We do not act like a community. We always speak about black love. What is black love? What is it? What is unity? Going to some demonstration together and yelling out names and nobody, that, that's some unity. Like I said, unity is something that's consistent. It is indigenous to a people. It's organic. And it's constant. We refuse to look at our community. We'll walk right by it 
go to the demonstration and come back with our eyes closed. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go to the demonstration day. And I put my blinders on and go straight to the demonstration, forget about the conditions of our community, what's going on in our community. And when I come back, I put my blinders on again. While I was gone, two, three people got killed because of gang violence or drugs. Hundreds of our young kids in that particular community being miseducated by this system. All these different injustices taking place, but I'm gonna go take, I'm gonna go all the way out to the community. Some people go all the way to another city and state to demonstrate. But look at your community. You ask yourself, do you have the time and luxury to go to another city or state across town to demonstrate and protest when you look at the community, the conditions of our community? Do you have time to go party when you look at our communities? And no, you don't have time to party. You have no time to go to no concerts. Look at our community. The resources I spend at a punk-ass concert, I can spend in building our community, giving back to our women and children and elders, giving back to our family. Spend time building that family, building our community. And I tell people, well, when they say, well, Abdul, we heard that you don't trip on Kwanzaa. It's not because it's a joke. You guys come together every year, put your dashiki on, light your candles, and what? And what? The same condition our community was yesterday is like that again this year. Nothing changed. But you speak about Kwanzaa. You speak about the principles. Those principles are our ancestors' principles. And they are breathing and living. So what that means is, when we say collective work responsibility, that means we must come together and work together to build our community. When we talk about corporate economics, that means we pull our resources together to invest in our own businesses, develop our own businesses, to build our community. To, I'm talking about our own scholarship funds. That's not the true principles of Kwanzaa. These are breathing, living institutions. That means when I say collective responsibility, the way I was taught, that means I'm going door to door to help my people. I'm going door to door to help our elders. I'm gonna spend time in the community building. I ain't got no time to go see no concert. I ain't got no time to spend money nowhere else other than in my community. Spend no energy other than right there in my community because we need help. Again, I use Hurricane Katrina as an example because everybody's aware of the tragedy there. Even to this day right now, the community in New Orleans still not prepared for natural disaster or crisis. And that is indicative to all the New African community slash black community across the country. Now, who do we blame this on? The government? The white man? Yeah, we'll blame the government. But wait a minute, ain't this the same government you say they don't give a damn about you? You've been advocating this, but then when they turn around and neglect you, you turn around, wait a minute, man, wait, this is the same government. What the hell are you talking about? This is the same government that told you to go screw yourself. Now you mad because the government refused to help you. But I always say, and I said at the onset of this feed, what is stopping you from preparing our community for a natural disaster or crisis? What is stopping you from going door to door to meet your people, to meet your community? What is stopping you? So we always throw criticism at everybody, but what is stopping you from doing that? I don't give a damn about no demonstration. These folks talking about letting me out. I'm not gonna participate in none of that. I'm gonna stay right in the community trying to build and organize, because that's what matters. Now, don't get me wrong. Demonstration and protest has its role in the struggle. Don't, I'm not saying that. It does. But not at the sake of the continued perpetuation of the ill that exists in our community. 
It's like when, when someone asks me about Black Lives Matter, I say, well, Black Lives Matter is every day. Not only when a pig kill one of our sisters and brothers, now I'm going to show up. No, Black Lives Matter is every day. That means every day I'm going to do something to guarantee that Black Lives Matter. I'm not just going to pop up when a major crisis takes place. I'm going to be on the front line every day in my community showing you that Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter when we have kids going to school being miseducated. Black Lives Matter is when we have a higher unemployment rate. Black Lives Matter when we have a high incarceration rate. Black Lives Matter when this brother's not taking responsibility and taking care of his kids. Black Lives Matter when the sister's out there prostituting herself. And that's not a crime. So don't get me wrong, but we are responsible for helping that sister get off the streets. Just like we are responsible for getting that sister off that pole as well. We can't just take you off the pole and provide no other services. But if black lives really matter, then you should be doing everything in your power to aid and assist our sisters, our children, our men, our community. If black lives really, really matter. And you cannot say black lives matter and work with the government. You cannot say black lives matter and depend on their funding. It can't. You can't sit there and say, well, you're the enemy, but yeah, can I get a dime? You're the enemy, but I want to have a meeting with you. We ain't got nothing to talk about. You already showed me hundreds and hundreds of years where you stand at. Why am I going to sit here and talk and powwow with you for? For what? You already made it clear what you think about me, so we ain't got nothing to talk about. I got to do what I have to do in the service of my people, in the service of my community. And I'm going to end this right now, but I want you guys to think. There's a difference, a clear distinction between checkers and chess. We playing checkers. We making one move at a time. When the power structure is 20, 30 years ahead of us. 20, 30 moves ahead of us. They already know what we're going to do, because we do it every time. We have to start thinking like chess players. Why did we make this move? Ask ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my objective? Long-term objectives, short-term objectives. What is my end game? What is my checkmate? That means we have to use the most powerful weapon we have at our disposal, and that's our brains. And we haven't been using that. Our brains is like a weapon. You have to take it to the shooting range and, and use it. If not, it's going to start misfiring, shooting blanks. The brains, our minds, the most powerful weapon we have at our disposal. And we use it right straight up and be liberated. But we got to do it right. One love. Peace. All right, well, we are keeping it real here on Prison Focus Radio. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We were just listening to uh, the very powerful um, Abdul Olubala Shakur. Uh, again, keeping it, keeping it real and telling it like it is. I am so inspired. And we are going to continue on with this inspiration. I'm going to be reading the third part of the evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a and Mutope Duguma. We ended with me talking about um, the prisoners being subjected to torment and torture over and over again in solitary confinement. Now we're going into the short corridor struggle against CDCR's sole racial violence in prison.
There are two ways the criteria for indeterminate shoe program can be met. Program failure is the first, and the second is being validated as a prison gang member. The IGI ISU used the gang validation process to define gang membership as supposedly starting while in prison. It's important to know it's irrelevant if you're, in pr if you're a prison gang member or not, or a program failure because it's all about your activities, whereas if prisoners are proactive behind the wall with their politics, enlightening and educating other prisoners or jailhouse lawyers or influential prisoners, pushing a progressive new African line, then gang validation is the way in which IGI, ISU try to stop these efforts. And let me just say IGI is the Institutional Gang Investigators and ISU is the Investigative Security Unit because I know some of you are new with us. For example, myself who has been persecuted for my political beliefs as a bloodline new African revolutionary nationalism ideology. Those of us who stop racial riots and melees and the self-destruction of another, prisoners, these men are high in targets for validation. They will be seen by the administration as standing in the way of their control measures. The CCPOA, the California um, Correctional Peace uh, Officers Association Union, has influenced the CDCR to, get, to back them up in their actions against prisoners in order to line their pockets with extra pay. Therefore, they need 100% control of the prisons because the prisoners who are validated in the short corridor are well-seasoned prisoners. They know their rights and how to bring a writ of habeas corpus or section 1983 or section 1985 and 1986 civil rights lawsuits against the administration for violations of prisoners' rights. If we were allowed back into general population, we could keep the peace on the yards as we have in the past, and it would be next to impossible to have prisoners locked down for nine to ten months out of the year on GP at the whim of a CO's word, or to have prisoners stabbing or beating one another over propaganda that was or has been devised by the COs in order to put race against race. An example is how the administration creates these animosities between races, prison jobs, where they favor one race, race over another in order to play on emotions of other races, creating a hostile environment. They constantly use any differences between the prisoners to instigate and agitate conflict. Officers mingle with prisoners and manipulate them whenever or wherever they can. But the best example is when officers use one prisoner of one racial group to create a hostile environment by punishing a whole group for the actions of one prisoner. Let's say prisoners have been waiting to pick up packages for months. One prisoner who is in the shower too long and he therefore becomes a convenient target. A, correction, a control officer, gunman, would say, quote, due to you taking all day in the shower, the package pickup will be canceled, unquote. This is a typical practice by prison officials, and sadly, it works most of the time on the prison population. Although everyone is pissed off at the official for canceling packages, they are also mad at the prisoner. Some of the prisoners do what they can to explain to those who misguide their anger, but it is the accumulation of incidents set up by prison officials that create the hostilities between prisoners. Most prisoners are irrational and thus react illogically to these setups. They do not realize that the correctional officers, along with the informers, have major parts and circumstances that lead to racial violence, melees, etc. Their own, uh, their own, for instance, rats, agent provocateurs, informers, turncoats, snitches, etc., for the sole purpose of 
the investigative gang, uh, sorry, the institutional gang, I've got to read these all again to you because he's listing them all and I think it's important that you know who's involved. The institutional gang investigators, the investigative security unit, and the Office of Correctional Safety. All of these people are involved. Um, oh my God, so sorry, hold on. All right, sorry about that. So they use it for the sole purpose of IGI, ISU, OCS, and SSU personal uh, personal utilization, which is an internal force of prisoners created by CDCR, the investigative gang, the sorry, institutional gang investigators, investigative security unit, office of correctional safety, etc. This is why the prison administration does not want progressive political prisoners who can read and understand the propaganda that the correctional officers, COs, propagate in order to create racial violence, gang violence, internal violence in the many social groups. The bottom line is that the CCPOA union, uh, union and CDCR conspire against the prisoners for their own profit. In 2000, after one of many, many deadly race riots in CDCR on the PBSPGP uh, B yard, where a prison guard fatally shot an unarmed prisoner, another prisoner by the name of Abdul O. Shakur, recognize that name, became sick and tired of the many senseless deaths where COs who are gunmen and marksmen get to murder prisoners justifiably or leave many maimed and crippled. He decided to write into the warden, who was Ayers at the time, about putting a stop to the racial violence, bringing attention to the fact that the more experienced prisoners in solitary confinement could stop these incidents, not only at Pelican Bay, but throughout CDCR. The warden, Ayers Jr., then said, quote, let me contact the director of CDCR, Terhun, in Sacramento, unquote. Terhune then approved of the negotiations with the prisoners who are serving indeterminate shoe programs for alleged prison gang membership to assist in resolving prison race riots. By this time at Pelican Bay, all racial groups had come together to work toward putting an end to racial violence. Once the program for negotiations was up and running, Warden Ayers Jr. saw clearly the effectiveness of this work. The prisoners were so successful with the peace attempt that the racist correctional officers in the control booths began deliberately opening doors of different racial groups to see if prisoners would attack each other. True to form, prisoners in solitary confinement remained disciplined across all racial groups and no attacks occurred. Then Senator of California Tom Hayden had gotten on board. See Senator Letter Warden Ayers Jr. Um, Mirandum 19B and 19C. A memorandum was drafted to clear any prisoners of any repercussions for their particip participation in trying to put an end to all racial violence, in opposition to what COs would counter by accusing prisoners of gang activity. So the memorandum was written to safeguard the prisoners for such actions. Yet, still today, the CDCR, PSB, ISU, IGI, and OCS continue to erroneously propagate our peaceful actions as a threat to the security of the institution in order to keep said prisoners in indeterminate shoe. The CEOs know that racial violence will cease to exist if these indeterminate shoe alleged prison gang members were released from shoe and allowed onto the yards again. This is clearly not the CDCR's objective because the violence validates the existing security housing units and future building of solitary confinement and shoe units that the CDCR profits off of. They literally have lobbyists to assist in shopping policies that serve the interests of the CDCR, the CCPOA union. 
The citizens of California have been manipulated, manipulated and played by a CDCR CCPOA union who see their society getting more and more violent criminal through um, racial hatred, class warfare, ethnic strife. So, as long as profits are the incentive for prison guards' solitary confinement will continue. Incentive for a prison guards' solitary confinement will continue to exist. All right, folks, that is our show. That was the, the third part of the evil dehumanizing uh, practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawan Antambu Jama'a and Mutope Duguma. And I just got a quick notice from Minister King of California Prison Focus about a June 5th event happening from 3 to 5 p.m. at Lake Merritt about um, knowing your Miranda rights. Um, and you are invited to this. Go to shoutout.wix.com. That's shoutout, one word, dot wix.com. And you can get more information there. I also want to remind you again about um, the commemorations of the um, 1921 uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre of the uh, Greenwood uh, residents there, um, uh, also known as Black Wall Street. Love y'all. Again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, just stay with us, please. Visit prisons.org. Visit sfbayview.com because we are going to be uh, focused heavily on um, honoring the the historic hunger strikes, the agreement to end hostilities, really, I still believe, one of the most important, if not the most important document that has been developed um, in the last 50 years. Uh, it should be our guiding tool for organizing um, inside and outside and outside right here on the streets. All right, that, like I said, is our show. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Thank mm-hmm. you.